And it is my delight to introduce our spiritual director for the community, here to give us a wonderful message of inspiration, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. That's right. So Dale and I are going to sing, and we're going to invite you to sing with us uh, in this very room. They're the words. So if you'd like to stand and join me, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very So I invite you to enter into that space in your own interior temple of awareness and light. We come together in the celebration and the recognition of that divine life that lives and animates itself in and through and has all of life, that is alive within each and every one of us. And our experience is determined by our deepening in relationship or not with that essence, with that presence. And so I know as we come together today that we are reminded in the the subtle and the apparent ways of how we must, how we may best be in that conversation and be in that experience. I give thanks, I stand in gratitude with you, knowing that gratitude is that the feeling tone of abundance, which is the nature of the infinite. So I stand in gratitude with you for this beautiful facility, all of the prayers, all of the, the, the heartfelt emotions that have been shared within this facility, for our youth program, for all of the lives that have been touched by this beautiful teaching, by this beautiful philosophy and by the beautiful consciousness that we represent. And so I just give thanks today to be part of that legacy and have the opportunity to come together with you and share ideas, support one another in the most meaningful and powerful way possible, and to extend our kindness to one another in this moment. I give thanks for every good thing that has shown up and brought me here today, as well as for you. I give thanks for all the good that is revealing itself in this moment, and I celebrate and welcome all the good that is yet to appear. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. So I was telling Dale when we were practicing, it sounds like, can you play the little rift again? Doesn't that sound like this, the theme to The Great American Hero? Look what's happened to me. I love that. We got to figure that out and get the words. I was actually in an episode of that. I was. I think I got it on my tape. I should bring that out. People, in, It's like home movies. I'll show you all the stuff I did in Hollywood. And we'll, we'll let you know well in advance, so if you're not interested, you can stay home and sleep. Or... Pardon me? Oh, fundraiser. Thanks, Deb. Yeah. If you can figure out how I can charge for that, you let me know. 
It's available online free all day long, but we'll charge for it if you insist. All right. Would you? Okay, good. You'd pay good money as opposed to bad money? Okay, good. All right. So, so we're in a, uh, this used to be a Catholic church, right? And someone sent me a story this week about uh, a fellow that, that had never gone to, to the Catholic church. Mulcahy finally went to church. And, and, and the priest was up doing his, his thing that day. And all of a sudden, he realized Mulcahy's here. And he's never been here before. And so after the service, he went back. And he said, Mulcahy, this is such a wonderful thing that you're here. And he says, what brings you here today? And he says, well, I've got to tell you, Father, that... I, I had my favorite hat, and I lost my, my hat, and so I decided that I know that, uh, that Mulvihill had the same hat, and I know that he comes to church, and I knew he'd take it off, and so I figured that when he was here, he took off his hat, and when, and when communion started, I'd leave at that point, and I would take his hat. And he said, but you're, you're still here, and you didn't steal the hat. And he says, no. He says, you know, Father, when you start talking about um, the, the Ten Commandments, it, it, something happened. And it just changed me forever. And he said, oh, the priest says, oh, that's wonderful. So when I was doing the Ten Commandments and it said, thou shalt not steal, you were impacted so beautifully by that. And the priest has tears in his eyes of joy. And he gives him a big hug. And he says, and okay, he says, no, Father. He said that, in fact, when you got to the part about thou shalt not commit adultery, I remembered where I left my hat. <laughs> so God is always guiding us, right? I remember where I left my hat. So today we're talking about great possibilities, and or I'm talking about it, and I guess you're part of the conversation too. And it's inspired by um, this beautiful chapter by Dr. Holmes called New Design for Living, which is our book of the year, and that uh, we shared with our membership this year. And it's right there on our, our lavender banner, A New Design for Living. And it's a wonderful, wonderful chapter where Holmes breaks down this idea of cause and effect, this whole idea that, you know, we know that in the realm of, of there's realms. And so when we go to the water faucet, we turn the handle, we, if the plumbing's operating properly and it's full of supply, we'll get water. We know that if we go to the light switch, we, clip, we flip the switch, we'll get light. And so it's all in a, so Holmes breaks this down in a way that talking about everything first is an idea. And that our thought is a seed. And the stepping off point for that awareness, for this whole teaching, for what we do, is the awareness that, that when we look out in the world and see circumstances and conditions, that we're not sub subjected to that in, in the sense that we're victim to it. But in fact, that when we look out in the world and we see one another, and we see what's happening, we realize that the same force that created all that is the same power and presence that lives within all of us. And so it's the subtleties of how we approach spirituality. And yet the, the interesting thing is at some point in time, recognizing that, and I've talked about it in the, kingdom, uh, the kingdoms of consciousness, that it, the, the high-level kingdom two, which is manifestation and, and manipulation in a sense, in order to get to kingdom three requires uh, a whole different consciousness, which is, uh, which is about humility. It's about surrender. It's about joining and partnering with and so I love that idea because I realize in, our, in my journey, my own practice here and my journey with you is that, that there's been so many things that have come across my awareness and have come in, in, in front of me in stepping into this that I don't, I don't have a clue what the answers are. And so, but what I know is that, so there's, there's two options that all of us have and I'll, I'll share my story because that's the only story I have to share. 
But, but in that, when, when things become difficult or become challenging, we either can decide to quit and pack it in, or we can decide to look within our own consciousness and say, what is, what's alive in me that continues to bring this into my experience? And then, so then what, what can I change or shift in my own beingness that allows me to shift and change that experience? Bruce, Bruce Senge in his book, The Emerging Church, has, has written a, a wonderful book, and he's written, um, written my story here because it's so common in, um, in community. But he talks about leadership. He talks about the challenges of leadership. He said, and, and of course, Sanguine is a, a from Canada. He's in Vancouver, and he spoke at the uh, Leadership Council uh, meeting, conference, a couple weeks back. And what he said is, and I believe this is true for what I, I see out in the world, he said, the mainline church is suffering from a crisis of leadership. This is not to say that we don't have many wonderful people, both lay and clergy, who are leading congregations, because we do. But we need more leaders who are ready, willing, and able to take a stand and stick with it. We need leaders who can withstand the wrath of the most critical members of their congregation or of the ones who threaten to withhold their financial offering and discover that it is not much more than a tempest in a teapot. Jesus asked his followers what they expected when they saw John the Baptist. A reed shaken by the wind? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one to whom it is written. See, I am sending you my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. We need John's chutzpah for the 21st century. The congregational leader's job is to go out into the storm and not be blown about by the winds of opinion, criticism, and opposition. We are, we are preparing the way for Christ to enter the hearts, the Christ consciousness, as we would say it, enter the hearts and minds of our people. John didn't win any popularity contest, and we may not either. He called the religious leaders of this day a brood of vipers to their faces. He told Herod that his current living arrangement was flat out wrong, for which Herod had him decapitated. It wasn't a good day for John. Most attempts at cultural shifting crash and burn because there inevitably becomes a point when a tough decision must be made and nobody is willing to make it. In fact, there are usually a series of tough decisions to make, and after the decision is made, the capacity to hold, hold to them in the face of multiple efforts to sabotage them is required. Leadership is not a popularity contest, and moments like this test our resolve. And he goes on and on. There's another page that I'm going to share at the AGM because it speaks so clearly to my journey. But what I'm saying about that is that wherever we are in life, there's going to be challenges. And we're going to make decisions in our lives that are, counter, that are, that are not congruent with the people around us have decided if all of a sudden we realize that I'm not subject to conditions, but in fact, I'm going to start making new choices in my life that will take me in a direction that I find valuable because, because I understand and I ask myself on a regular basis, who am I? And that changes all the time because it's subjective. Who am I today? What do I love? What, what shall I do and how shall I live my life knowing I shall die? And what are my gifts to share? Four great questions. Who am I? Who am I? And if we're in victim consciousness, we'll feel like we're here to protect ourselves and be safe. Who am I? What do I love? What do I love? What's precious to me? What's precious to you? See, we all do it differently. There's no formula for this. That's the problem. We need a formula. We need a book. We need a how-to. What do I love? Because you love things I don't love. You know, maybe you're called to work with children. Maybe you're called to work with people. There's so many wonderful healthcare workers here that are just do amazing work. You know, moment by moment, to just sit with someone that is, his life force may be slipping away. What do I love? How shall I live my life knowing I've got this time and it's not forever, it's this time. 
And then what are my gifts, your gifts, that we develop and share? The wonderful questions to ask ourselves. And they're always moving and they're always shifting and changing. So Holmes says our starting point is to realize that our awareness, that the awareness that created everything is the awareness that is within us. And as we shift and change that, that, that nature of it, my experience has been, because there's been many times here where things have happened and I've made decisions that people don't like, and, but that I just knew in my heart, and heart, of, uh, heart of hearts I had to make. And so then when that comes up, what I get to do it realize is so, okay, I can leave or I can look at my own consciousness and see why this bothers me. Because if I've done what I know is, is precious to me and that I love it and I know it's the highest and best for everyone, then why, why is it a problem for me that someone is unhappy with that? So then I get to look at that piece of me that reacts to that unhappiness because I'm not responsible for that person's happiness. I want them to be happy. I want everybody to be happy. But it's not my responsibility. I long for it. I long for a world that works for everyone, that everyone has all the resources they need. I want that. I want everyone to live in joy but, and, and possibility and opportunity. But, and, and all I can do is offer that, but I can't be responsible for it. See, to break it down even more local, I'm responsible to, to do this talk. I'm responsible to you to provide something of value. I'm responsible to show up this day and, and put my thoughts together and do my prayer work and do my spiritual practice enough so that I can offer something of value to you. Because that's what I want. That's the best way. That's one of the gifts I have that I can share with you. But I have no responsibility what you do once you walk out the door. Oh, I have no responsibility what you're doing right now. You might still be writing down that story about how you lost your hat and then you found your hat. <laughs> but the point being is, is that when we understand that, Holmes said the wise and the thoughtful never have placed limitations or restrictions on themselves in their particular field of endeavor. So part of my wisdom is to understand and part of my work to do in your work as well is to understand what is ours to do, what is ours to know about ourselves. And then if I'm, I, and I'm sitting here contemplating how you're feeling about it or how you're responding to it, it doesn't mean I don't have compassion, but I have nothing, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, Bruce, Bruce Sanguin in this book, I, I, I just love this, this section. He says, he says, it didn't, uh, he said, seminary never prepared me for any of this. You know, I studied ministerial training. It didn't prepare, doesn't prepare you for any of this. All it does is it teaches you the science of mind and how to articulate it, and hopefully you can convey that. But I knew, how to, I, know, I knew how to stand before people and, and convey a message long before. I'll show you my, my, uh, my clips, right, for good money. But that prepared me for this. But he said, it didn't prepare me to deal with the reality that some people would flat out dislike me. It didn't prepare me for the truth that when you put on a gown and a stole, people start projecting their mother and their father and their abusive grandfathers on you. It didn't prepare me for women who interpret my attention as sexual interest. It didn't prepare me to set limits on what I will do and what I will not do. Or it didn't teach me how to stay connected with people who scream at me. You should try it sometime. Anybody want to come down for a week? I'll let you sit in the chair. It didn't help me articulate my own values where I stood on important issues so I could calmly state that those, that those when the chair of the board told me I was just plain wrong. And it didn't prepare me to confront a staff person when that person was not able to live out of the congregation's vision. It goes on and on and on. I read this, I'm like, God, I'm not the only one. This is great. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. But all of us in our lives have these things. They show up. What do we do? Because we can drive ourselves crazy trying to make that stuff right. But when we, have a, when we, we take a vow, what's precious and important to us, that we have standards that we're calling ourselves to, we just spent the last nine months working with our practitioners writing a sacred covenant. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I just love it. 
I didn't write it. I didn't impose it. I said, let's come together and do this. We did it, and it's beautiful. We have our own covenant. And we did it with our board. We did it with our board of trustees. We spent several, we, we did one weekend with that. It was beautiful. We ran a sacred covenant. And then, then, then the, the, as the iteration goes with, the, with the, the way boards work, you have new people that come on the board. And at one point, people came on, new people came on the board and said, I don't like this prayer. It doesn't make sense to me. So we changed it. And I thought, oh my God, this isn't right. In my heart, I knew it wasn't right. But I didn't say anything because I didn't want to upset people. I said, oh, okay, put words in there that you like. And so when Reverend Penny was here last week, because the sacred covenant prayer was created by the group and spirit. And so it's, it, it's pristine in that. And she said, in order to change it, you can change it, but you have to get everybody that was in the room that created it to agree. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what's going on. Because I just thought, what's wrong with me? Why does this bother me? We changed the words so people would understand and dive in. It's like, no, no, you've got to get everybody in the room that made the agreement. Otherwise, you're violating the covenant. And I thought, oh my gosh, perfect. What great learning for me. It wasn't bad and wrong. I just thought, change the words. Let's make it right. Let's make it more user-friendly. But what I understood in my heart of hearts was that that was incongruent with what I, I, there was something about it that was just incongruent for me that didn't line up and I couldn't figure it out. I thought, there's something wrong with me. Do I need to control this? What's the problem? No, I wasn't honoring that, that, that the group covenant. There's a, there's a wonderful parable that, that, uh, that Jesus talks about and I love the parables because they have so many levels. And so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read it because it's that King James Version and I can barely read that stuff, that Bible stuff, you know. But, but in it, uh, so I'll tell you the story. And Michael's here again. So Michael, do you want to do, do the five this time? Or the, he was here for the first service and I picked on him. I didn't pick on him, I used them as an example. But in this, in this parable, it's the parable of the talents. And talents is a wonderful word because it represents qualities. But talents in that time period meant a value of measure, a piece of silver that had uh, value. And so this guy, owned, uh, this guy owned a business, and he was going on a long trip, and he said, okay, I'm going to put you in charge. He picked out somebody. I better read some of it. Could get in trouble here. I'll be making up the Bible on you. It'll be on YouTube before you know it. And... <laughs> so he, what he did is he, he called his servants together, and he said, I'm leaving. And so I'm going to give Patrick over here the five talents this time. I said, Patrick, here's five talents. I want you to take care of those. And he said, I'll do that. And so then he walked over here and he said to another man, based on what he knew to be, and it's, it's all, there, there's, there's all meaning behind this, said to, to Michael, here's two talents. And then he gave to, over here to Beulah, gave one talent. And so what happened was he took off. And um, so what the, the fellow that got the five talents did, he went out and he traded him and he made him into five more talents. We so had 10 talents. He had 10 measures of value. And the guy with two, or Patrick had the, the 10, and Michael had the two. So Michael went out, and he doubled them as well. And then all of a sudden, Buell over here has got one talent, and he looks at it, and he says, you know what, I don't want to lose this thing, and this guy can be really mean and nasty. I'm going to go bury it. And so he goes out and buries it, because that's what he knows to do. And this is not personal, by the way. I'm just using it as an example. I don't want you to take, I love you, and I know that you're a 10-talent man. If anybody's a 10-talent man, you are. But I'm just working my way across here. <laughs> so the, he comes back. He comes back into town. And he goes up to Patrick and he says, Patrick, how'd you do? And he said, here's your five and here's five more. I doubled it. That is fantastic, he said. He said, well done, Patrick. 
Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee the ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. It's all excited, happy. Did a good thing. Took what he had. See, he took the gifts he had, and he multiplied them. This is the nature of the infinite. This is what Jesus was talking about. And then he went over to the fellow with the two talents. He said, how did you do? And he said, Lord, thou deliverest me unto me two talents. Michael, this time. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant, Michael. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So these guys got it going on, huh? And then he goes over to Buell. says, Buell, how'd you do? And Buell says, Well, you know, I got scared, and I was afraid. And I went and I hid the talent in the earth, so that thou hast, that is thine. I didn't want to lose what, what's yours. And so the Lord looks at him and he says, Buell, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reaped where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawn. Thou oughtst therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talents from him and give them over to, give them over to Patrick. So now Buell doesn't have anything. And in fact, Patrick's got one more talent. He's got 11 now. For unto every one that hath shall be given. And he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because what Jesus was talking about here was the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He, he's going to be fine. Got, but but the, So here's the point with all of this. So what are the five talents all about? What the five talents represent are the five senses. The sense of touch, to be able to see, to be able to hear, to taste, and to smell. And so all of the senses that we have, if you've noticed, when we talk about vision, I can see out and I've got my smart glasses on, my IQ goes up 20 points when I wear these glasses, but I can see beautifully. But there's another seeing. And so when we have the awareness, when we have all of a sudden this healing, this shifting of changing, this reconfiguration of our perception, all of a sudden, our inner voice becomes, oh, I see, I see. And what, what, what Jesus was saying in the parable was that when you take the five senses with those exterior senses, the world of conditions, and you partner them with the five inner senses of what it feels like inside, what does it taste like inside? When you vision, when people say, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would it smell like? And you see this beautiful, pristine, because what you're doing is you're creating in your mind's eye, which is that spiritual prototype, the possibility of what you long for because then you understand who I am is this divine representation of this infinite divine intelligence. That's who I am. I'm, a, I'm an individualized expression of the one and my thought is the way I shift and change my experience. And this is what I love. So what we do is when we go inside and we realize what we love, we start to build that picture in our mind's eye and, and people will say to us, what does that feel like? Who are you with? And so... It's a beautiful example that when we take the five senses and we amplify them and we partner with the other five qualities, all of a sudden our life blossoms in an amazing way. And so what about the two-talent guy? What about Michael? He's a good guy. What is an example of is someone that comes into the world and knows what they want and they do everything they possibly can to get it. And so they use their, 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 their life force to bring into their experience what they want and in every waking hour to bring that into their experience. 
And it can be exhausting, but it can be effective. And most of the world operates at that level. The one talent consciousness just says, what's the point? Huh, it's too much. And it's not about singling out people here because all of us, myself included, live in those three areas of, of the possibility. Holmes says that, Holmes says that, that in, in, the, in this book, he talks about we have mastered uh, the new design for living. We've mastered setting limitations for ourselves. He says the purpose of affirmative prayer, spiritual mind treatment, or right thinking is to stabilize their own thought, to think clearly, and, and ways to understand that all things are possible to the power greater than we are. Equally important is the knowledge that this power can do for us only what it can do through us. That there is something which actually brings about conditions, circumstances, and situations that correspond to our mental attitudes. So if we understand we're not alone in this, and there's another language to learn, because most of us, myself included, when I'm not pointing fingers at you, I look at my own life where I have limitations. He said, and he says this, we must never make the design of a new life a labor. Because I, when I hear this, I go, oh my gosh, so much work to do. I remember coming to this teaching, I'll never be able to apply this. I think it's true, but I'm too busy responding. I was so busy reacting to everything, everything was saying, there's no way I'm going to apply this. Because as soon as I walk in, I do my prayer work, I'm clear, I walk out the door, somebody says something to me, and I'm off to the races again in my own head. Judging, blaming, shaming, conspiring how I can get back at them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. For if we, if, we, if we make it a labor, it will lose its vitality and its spontaneity, and the effort involved will become just another burden we have to tolerate and subject ourselves to. What we do has to be something we want to do for the sheer joy of doing it. Who am I? What do I love? If you've been through Prosperity Plus, Mary Morris is not what you like. What would you love? Because if there's love, it's got legs underneath it. And whether you've got one talent or two talents or three, five talents, wherever you're starting, you're starting. You might be a five-talent guy around money. Holmes says in the book here, you're always going to have poor people around you. Do you know people that are always broke, always asking for money? I know a couple of people like that. People that are always sick. Did you know that on Monday morning that there's more colds that are happening for school children on Monday mornings than any other day of the week? Why is that? What's going on there? Because it's, it's less painful to stay at home with mom, if you can, than go to school. Makes perfect sense. I did that strategy for halfway through first grade. I did it every Monday morning. I was sick. Staying home. And then my sister comes home Monday afternoon and says, guess what happened today? And I said, what? The first graders went to the fire station and slid down the pole. I was like, oh my God, I missed it. <laughs> ah. Abraham Maslow on his deathbed, he, he was the one that uh, defined the, the, the degrees of living. He said self-transcendence isn't enough. Maslow said self-transcendence is not it. What he was more concerned about at that point in time in his own journey was the, the, the transcendence and the vibrancy and the health of his children and his grandchildren. And Marianne Williamson says, Marianne Williamson says that probably what will help shift the consciousness on the planet is our affection and love for our children, not just our children but children. Uh, well, that's probably a good point. Good point to start because we can get, but there's some juice behind that. So it's so easy to get into the world of, of competition and comparison. 
Stephen Levine says, you, you have, if you have one hour to live, who would you call and what would you say? Who would you call and what would you say? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Good question. Who would I call? What would I say? And then the other question he says to people, what are you waiting for? Good question. I like that. So, so all of us have this capacity to take whatever it is, wherever we are, understand that our, our nature is divine, that, that we, we, all of us rest upon this beautiful body of awareness. And so then the journey is for us, is then, then when you understand that everything that comes into your experience is there to help coach you into a greater awareness and a greater degree of livingness, then all of it becomes a tool for your, for your unfolding and your blossoming in consciousness. And I've talked about it before. Holmes says the only way to prove the theory that we believe it's correct is to set our reading aside and to start doing it. Cause and effect always work, and there's nothing too big or too little for it to cope with. He says we have no alibis. Some people are never well, and others are always poor. It doesn't appear as though they ever got started living a decent life. They really have limitations, but why any limitations? Wherever you are, we've just married and made an agreement with limitation. One of the most difficult things for us to believe or convince ourselves is that the only limitations we have are the ones we've created for ourselves. That is we who have cluttered up our lives. It is us that have cluttered up our lives. It is though we spent all our time gathering up limitations, placing them as roadblocks on our pathway, and then grumbling about the fact that they block our way. I mean, that's the insanity, but it's true. It's true for me. It's true for me. If I realize that I'm divine, if I understand who I am, that I'm an individualized expression of the infinite, and I figure out what I love. That's why you write, when we were talking about, when I was with Reverend Penny last week, Reverend Penny Masick, who's been coaching me on the co-creation, I said to her, well, what about you know, where we go forward with the, with the community? What do we do? What if we, you know, we want to build, build a new facility or have a new facility? She said, write a covenant. Start with a covenant. I thought, oh, that's great. You start with a covenant, then you can bring yourself back to it. Because then you can stay, as, as, as Bruce Sengwin said, then you keep bringing yourself back. Because people will, people will show up and it, it'll scare people. In your life, what do you stand for? Do you have a covenant with yourself? What's precious to you? What do you love? Not what somebody else loves. What do you love? And, and knowing that your, your time here is finite, then how will you live that? And what are your gifts? Simple stuff. But just great stuff. Then I don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are like the speed limit. You know, if you don't want to get a ticket, don't go over the speed limit. That's, that's, that's where it starts. But really, if you want to help everybody else get to their destination safely, I mean, I know why there's so many people here today. We're all here praying that it stops snowing eventually, aren't we? <laughs> I'm going, I went down the, mud, the white mud during this storm, and there were guys flying by me like 90 miles an hour. I was like... Where are you going? I'm just, you know, I'm putting along like Mr. Magoo. If I had, and I had to be somewhere. I so said, I'll go down there. Nobody there. The guy's going like, anyway, God bless him. And prayers go out to all those people on that, the QE2, you know. Holmes says, limitations are always easy to establish. In fact, too easy. Limitations. Every time we reflect on an inability to do or accomplish something, we are setting up an increased barrier to the doing or accomplishing. Every time we have an alibi for undesirable results we may have achieved, we firmly establish the alibi as the limiting factor for our future activity. 
Every way we turn, we find that for the most part, we are spending our time setting up and maintaining limitations rather than removing them and moving ahead free and unrestricted. We have been using the limitless potential of power of thought to impose limitations in every aspect of our lives. So we're using the law. We're using the law. We're just using it to set up limitations. And so as, we, uh, so as we wake up, as we start to wake to our spiritual magnificence, then we realize as if, if there's an area in our life that we're really limiting ourselves with the one talent, consciousness, because that's what it is, it's a quality, the value of the consciousness in that area, then it's an opportunity to look at that and to unravel that and to do the work around that. And if we're in the two-talent consciousness, same thing. How do I shift out of that? How do I shift out of my getting and doing into this, this divine co-creation where all of a sudden I know that I'm partnering with spirit so the things that I need to know show up and reveal themselves to me? But that's the work we're at. And you're here and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You know this. You're connected. You understand that your, your divine nature, your inherent uh, internal nature is, is spiritual. And you've all had those, those hits of intuition, those, all, those moments of brilliance, those moments where you're in the, 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 five, the five senses become the ten, where all of the senses are coordinated. You've had those moments of awe and inspiration. And I don't think any of us stay in any one of those states 24-7, as Reverend Penny says with co-creation. There's the four kingdoms of creation. Victim consciousness, manifestation consciousness, co-creation consciousness, and I am consciousness. And we, we, we move in and out of those. But, but all of us have a home base. All of us have some place that we're in more often than not. And our opportunity then is if we're, we're primarily always in one talent consciousness, which is we don't even feel like we want to try anymore, then the, the, then, the, then the movement becomes going into second kingdom consciousness, which is what I'm going to start putting my... I'm going to put, it, put some effort into what I'd like to have. And then all of a sudden at some point we realize this is too much work. So to, to give up the controlling and the manipulation, I realize, you know what? I can't just stand here and say, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to do everything I can to get mine. You realize, you know what? I've got to figure out what I love and it's got to be bigger than, my dream has to be bigger than just about me. And then I can move into third kingdom consciousness, which is for the greater good of everyone. And then all of a sudden, it sounds paradoxical, but it's empowering. My life is spirit's life. And I find myself, there's days I get up, and man, I'm in kingdom too. And I, you know, when I, I was shoveling, I got a corner lot, so when it shovels, I get to shovel a lot. I was in victim consciousness there for a while. We had company coming over on Friday night. I, sh- I actually shoveled the street because it was so deep. I thought, everybody's going to be, uh, do I want to push cars or I want to shovel the street? I'm out there shoveling the street. Thank you, God. How abundant are we with snow, huh? There's no lack or limitation. It's still beautiful, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you. So I, I have an opportunity, and then I'll wrap this up. But I want to talk to you about my. Um, I have an opportunity um, that came up, and I'm going to speak about it when I come back on April 1st, right after Easter. I'm going to Brazil to spend two weeks with John of God, and so, and I'm going to talk about it when I come back. So a couple things. Please show up and support our, our ministers that are going to be speaking. They're wonderful, brilliant women. And Reverend Connie Nissen and Reverend Catherine McLeod are going to be. And, and please show their love and support. Because it's so wonderful when you're here and they're loving it. Wonderful things to say. Brilliant, brilliant women. I love and adore them. So anyway, I didn't know whether I could go or not. Because I got invited when I was in Vancouver. And I came back. And Laura and I said, well, let's go. We're all excited. And I realized that she was not going to be able to go with me because of scheduling. 
and I had to get a, a visa. And so I, I talked to Leslie Paul about getting a visa to go to Brazil. It takes 21 days. I had 18 days to get it done, so I sent it to him on 18 days before I express mail it. And, and so uh, a week later, I get back my visa. I called Leslie. I said, guess what? I got my visa in a week. She goes, oh, my God, you must know somebody. I said, yeah, I know God. <laughs> so then I hadn't talked to my mom, and my mom is 90 years old, and she's a, she's a wonderful, wonderful Catholic, very devout. She prays. I mean, used to go to Mass every day. I don't think she can anymore. She can't get there on her own. But anyway, so I called her, and I hadn't spoken to her since we went to a wedding in November. And she says, oh, I'm so glad you called. She said, I had a dream about you the other night. And I said, wow. And when you go to see John of God, everyone dresses in white because he reads the energy. He reads the auras. And, uh, and uh, so my mom says to me, and she didn't know any of this. She says to me, I had a dream and I got up. It was so vivid. I looked out in the yard. And you were standing in the front yard all in white. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And there she goes again because you could never lie to my mom. You couldn't say well, where you were because she just would always, <laughs> she'd always, kind of like you guys when I said, it's still beautiful, and you knew. But, but, I, but I just thought, I said to Laura, these are two signs that I probably should go and, and, and enjoy this experience and see what it's about. And in talking to my friends from the Mile High Church that invited me to go along with them, uh, Dr. Roger Teal and uh, Eileen Flanagan, Eileen was raised Catholic like I was, and she said what they teach, what, what John of God does is exactly what we teach in religious science. It's the shifting of, of consciousness that creates the healing. And I said, because I, I it seemed a bit kind of strange to me. I said, you're going down there, really? You're going to see John of God? And she said, yeah. And she says, I've been three times. I said, really? And you should go with us. I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. But it, what a fascinating opportunity. And he's, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's in a consciousness. He's in a, and he, he's not distracted by a lot of the things we're distracted by. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I'm, but I wanted to share with you about, here's my mom, 90 years old, having dreams about me all in white, you know, preparing and I've noticed that since I've made the decision, as they say in the, in the literature, that you'll notice things start to shift and change within you just to prepare you. And I think, wow, isn't that interesting? But see, that's the energy that we stand for. That's the kind of thing I want to bring back and share and help build the consciousness that we're all about here. And, if it's a, you know, and then we'll, we'll take it wherever that needs to go. But I just, I, I'm just so excited about that and the opportunity and how this all kind of get the visa. Because I thought, if I don't get the visa, I'm not going, and that's okay. Um, and it showed up in a week. Okay, hmm, there's a clue. And then my mom told me, she saw me all in white. Okay, mom, there's a clue. So we're always being informed. You know, if we've set our hat somewhere and we can't find it, we'll always be informed. <laughs> so, just, you know, in, in great gratitude, I stand with you in great gratitude and appreciation. I, I just stand with you in, in such great love and, 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 and appreciation for all of the, for my journey, for you inviting me to come here. This will be my 11th AGM today, this afternoon. And, and yeah, who said, they said it wouldn't last. But, but, but all of the, 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 when you step into it, you don't realize all of the things that you're going to be forced to look at. I mean, I didn't. I had no idea. Um, but it's all been so beautiful. And it's always been so wonderful to be part of it. And you're part of that. Our energy, there's only one of us. And your great good is not private, as Dr. Holmes said. And my great good is not private. So blessings. We'll see you next week for us. Easter is going to be a great uh, service. This week, the homework this week, go out and be kind. Kindness to yourself. Start right where you are, where you are, who you are. Not until you gain or lose 20 pounds. Not until you have more money in the bank. Not until you find the right and perfect mate. Just start today with kindness. Kindness, kindness, kindness. It's the quality of the infinite. 
So I stand in the gratitude, I stand in the kindness, and I stand in the love with you. So it is. I'll see you.